Morning, everyone, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel live stream. It's so great to read God's Word together. Before I begin, just want to say that we here at Calvary Sydney, we want to facilitate fellowship, get people together in a safe way. Um, there's been a suggestion of another Bible study, so if that interests you, please contact the church. And we also want to encourage individual members to reach out to one another. We uh, will be sending out the directory to those on the mailing list to make sure you have one another's contact details where you can reach out and catch up and connect. Um, it's so good to remember that it's not the building, but it's the people that are the church of God. And may the Lord mobilize each one of us to minister as he directs and leads for his glory that we can be encouraged and strengthened in faith. No, brother and sister, you are not forgotten. Even if I don't know you personally, the Lord knows you and loves you. And it is great that you are hearing his word today with us. So um, turn in your Bibles to Luke 13. We're going to be starting in verse 18. And let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is quick and powerful. It is living it ministers right to our need. You know what we need to hear, and you prepare us, you strengthen us, you do everything that we need. Thank you that you supply all that we need for life and godliness. And I pray, Lord, you would fill us with your spirit and give us understanding of your truth, that we'd know you through your word, that we'd know you through personal experience because we have heard your voice and you have indeed filled us and are helping us to do your will. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you've provided and for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. When you buy a product or an appliance, you take the maker into account. You'll, you'll think about uh, reviews or perhaps your own experience in the past, and sometimes you're not quite sure uh, what's best. I know the other day I went to Bunnings to buy a screwdriver. It's like I have all these slotted screwdrivers. I need a decent Phillips, and I go there. And there is just a whole wall, a display of these screwdrivers. And I wasn't familiar with many of the brands at all. So I was like, well, I'll roll the dice. Time will tell if it was worth this kind of money to buy a screwdriver. Um, and, and so something that's hidden will become evident in time. It's so great to know that what only time will tell, God already knows. Like, I don't know what is the best screwdriver to buy. Um, and we may have an experience where we say, well, that's the last time I shopped there or used that service because of a negative experience. But praise the Lord, he doesn't draw hasty conclusions. He knows the truth. And he brings what's hidden to light about us, that we're sinners. But also he reveals himself, that he is God and he is a savior. And he does hear the cries of those who call out to him. And through Jesus, the truth of the gospel has come to light. And we see that through scripture, and we've received that uh, through the gospel. So Luke 13, 18 is where we're going to start. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus told the parable of the fig tree, where there was this fig tree that was planted. It wasn't producing. For three years, the master had said, you know, I'm looking for fruit. I'm not finding any. It's a waste of space. Get rid of it. But the landscaper said, well, patience. Uh, let's, let's give it every opportunity to be fruitful, and if it still isn't fruitful, we can cut it down. Then Jesus, following that, he loosed a woman who was bound by a spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and she, she wasn't able to stand up straight. He healed her, she was raised, 
uh, she was able to stand upright and praise the Lord. But the ruler of the synagogue, he downplayed the miracle. He, he spoke against it, and Jesus exposed his hypocrisy. And this is a guy that was respected for his honoring God and keeping the law and an upright person uh, according to the law of Moses. But Jesus knew something that others didn't know. He brought it to light. And... Um, Behind that facade, I mean, we can, you know, a facade is something that you put up to cover the truth. You want to put your best foot forward, and it's possible for all of us to have a facade. And uh, may it never be that, like this man, that we would put up a facade of righteousness, but deny Christ, um, the Son of God that God sent to be the Son of the world, the, the Savior of the world, who brings forgiveness and restoration and salvation. So Luke 13, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Our passage today starts with the word then. So it's good for us to look back and say, well, what happened before this? Uh, what, what immediately took place helps us to know the context and in the book of Luke, as well as in Matthew and Mark, because these gospel accounts follow the same pattern of events. In the Luke passage, a key theme was Jesus bringing the hidden hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees and unbelievers to light. Um, what was hidden, Jesus revealed. In Matthew 13 and in Mark 4, the parables of the kingdom of God, they followed the parable of the sower. And in this parable, the parable of the sower, the good seed was sown, and it was through time that it was evident what sort of soil the seed had fallen on, whether it was a thin, rocky soil or soil that was full of weeds, or good soil that produced much fruit. Um, and so Jesus explained that parable. He said the seed is the good word of God, and the, uh, the birds that take away the seed, that's like Satan who will steal away the word of God from a hard, unprepared heart, like the footpath. And those that are on that rocky soil, they receive the word with joy, but when tribulation comes, there's no root, there's no depth, and it dries up and... Uh, and then also the one that's choked by the cares and the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, that one is also unfruitful. And then in contrast to all those three, the good soil produced a crop. Uh, and he spoke parables, just since parables is something we're going to be discussing uh, a bit. He spoke these uh, common, ordinary examples as to teach spiritual truth to those who believe, but also concealed the same spiritual truth from those who did not believe. That fulfilled scripture. In Matthew, the parable of the sower was followed by the parable of the wheat and the tares. So a man sowed good seed in his field, but while he slept, an enemy came and sowed tares, which is a weed that looks a lot like wheat. It, it appears the same, but it has no nutritional value. And so he, he's like, you know, don't rip up the tares, let them grow up together, and then we'll 
separate them at harvest time. And in that parable, the good seed was not the word of God. It was the children of the kingdom, whereas the tares were the children of the wicked one or of the devil. So two kinds of seed had been planted, but it was only over the passage of time that they could tell that that had happened. And uh, we see that the seed in both these parables means something different. And we shouldn't assume that seed in every parable means the same thing or that birds mean the same thing in every parable as they stand on their own. After Jesus said, nothing is hidden which will not be manifested and things that kept, have been kept secret will come to light. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, 30. Then he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches, branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Mustard seeds are very tiny. It takes about 750 of them to weigh one gram. And they are the smallest seed that is sown. And that's the caveat here. Jesus is being the creator of everything. He realizes that there are smaller seeds, but the smallest seed that would be sown was a mustard seed. And it was a smallest seed that would grow to be a substantial size uh, a, a shrub large enough for birds to nest in and take refuge under. After you sowed some mustard seeds, it may have appeared that you took the day off, but in time you would see this great uh, plant, this tree grow up, and it was an attractive home for birds. And Jesus followed a with another parable of the kingdom of God, he compared it to leaven, a woman hid in a large amount of dough. If you've ever used yeast to make bread, you know that it doesn't take very long in, in a nice warm spot for that dough to begin to rise, and it's visibly different. Jesus spoke these parables concerning the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, just a quick refresh, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's entered into by faith in Jesus Christ. That kingdom is established within us through the gospel, when we trust in Jesus, and his word and the power of the Holy Spirit becomes evident in our lives. There's the fruit of the Spirit. It alters our desires and our convictions, and he empowers us to do God's will. And it's remarkable. You have this little tiny seed that can grow to be four meters tall, and it's amazing that just hearing the gospel and believing on Christ that our lives can be totally transformed and change others as well. That we can be born again through hearing the word and believing in Jesus Christ, and we can have eternal life. The kingdom of God, the knowledge of him, the Bible says will one day overspread the entire earth, that people will flock to Jesus from the east, west, north, and south, that every tongue will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and King of kings. Every knee will bow before him. He's going to establish a physical kingdom on earth in Jerusalem where he reigns as Lord. And there is ultimately the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom where Jesus will create a new heaven, new earth, where only righteousness dwells, and we will rule with him as his saints. Faith in Jesus the size of a mustard seed, it brings miraculous salvation and eternal life. Many Jews, they schemed to silence Jesus. He was like the sower who sowed good seed. 
Once the seed was out of the bag and received by the soil, in time it would grow. In Australia, there's a lot of invasive species that, uh, despite many good efforts, have remained uh, invasive and around. Impossible to eradicate. It was in the 1800s that rabbits were introduced for recreational hunting. It sparked a population explosion. Uh, and during, despite culling and a rabbit fence, the population to this day, it's, it's estimated to be like 200 million or something. It's kind of a lot of rabbits. Uh, and it's like into a world darkened with sin and death, the light of the world shone. And the eternal impact and the faith of a few people have continued to make transformation in the life of people uh, to this day. It's reached us, and we are a testimony of the power of the gospel to save and to change lives, to heal, to restore, to bring us from death to life. And that life um, will spread through us to others. Luke 13, 23. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Jesus continues his trek towards Jerusalem, teaching as he went. And he was asked, Lord, are there few who are saved? And Jesus does not answer the question with a convenient yes or no. We, we love to ask these questions and just have a straight answer. But Jesus didn't do that. He, uh, I like what Matthew Henry said. He says, our Savior did not give a direct answer to this inquiry, for he came to guide men's consciences, not to gratify their curiosity. We don't know the motive behind this question that's asked. But Jesus honed in with laser-like precision on the man's heart, and he addressed the speaker. And we don't know if it's a man or a woman. It just says, the one said to him. And he addresses the speaker. He says, strive to ensure you are the one who is saved. It does little good for us to know if someone else is saved or not if we haven't entered in the gate of salvation ourselves. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Devout Jews who desired to do the works of God asked him once, like, how, how shall we do the works of God? And Jesus said, believe on the one God has sent, to believe in Jesus as Messiah and Lord. They mistakenly believed that righteousness came through the works of the law, by keeping the law of Moses, when it was only by grace through faith that we can be made righteous. Striving and laboring to please God was constantly preached, uh, that acceptance by God hinged upon their efforts and their good performance. In our day, it's like the pendulum has swung the other way. Striving, it's like, well, why strive? That's a work of the flesh, or it's unnecessary. Why labor when Jesus has done all the work for us? Well, since we are saved by grace through faith and not by works we have done, emphasis on works, it can be viewed as legalism, as trampling liberty, or a return to law, which is not true. 
because God saved us to do good works. We receive salvation by grace through faith, but God has good works for us to do, to strive and to wrestle with and to get through that gate, to labor to get through that gate. Genuine faith is always accompanied by works and obedience to God. If we've truly hidden God's word in our heart, we'll heed it, we won't choose sin, and we'll repent and confess when we have sinned. Striving, it means to wrestle, and as we follow Jesus, you've had that wrestle of denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following him, denying the sinful desires of the flesh, and walking by faith rather than sight, because, hey, we have eyes. We tend to walk by sight. Paul labored to make known to all Jesus the hope of glory. He said this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Of Christ, he said, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Instead of wrestling against God, Paul wrestled for God as one empowered by God. All roads do not lead to God. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is that narrow uh, way, that, that gate of righteousness through whom we enter into eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says many people will want to go to heaven. They will want to enter the kingdom of God, but they would be unable of all people, the Jews expected that they would be admitted into the kingdom of God because of their sacrifices, their prayers, their obedience, the promises made to Abraham and his descendants forever. At that moment, the door, capital D, was open. But Jesus said in verse 25, one day the master would close that door. And people who expected to be ushered into their inheritance would be cast out and left outside. And the doors closed. He's like, yeah, it's like the master shutting the door and saying, hey, when I close that door, it's final. And his hearers would be left outside and they'd be saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he's like, you're foreign to me. You're a stranger. I don't even know where you're from. I don't know you. And they, hoping to jog his memory, he says, oh, you know us? We've, we've eaten with you. You've taught in our streets. And he says, it didn't change his answer. I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. All of Jesus' hearers, including you today, have an opportunity to respond to his invitation to enter the door. But having refused him, having refused to believe on him, they would be left out. I'm reminded when God shut in Noah and his family and all the animals into the ark, there was a sense of finality when that door shut. It was not going to be opened again until the judgment had come upon the earth. Jesus continued in Luke 13, 28. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Jesus told them to wrestle to make sure they went through that narrow door because that's the only way into the kingdom of God. People will queue up for hours before a store opens if there's the chance of a good sale or a special on something they want to buy. Normally, mild-mannered people 
who would not raise their voice to their children. They're elbowing others and jockeying for position to get that product that they want to buy. If people can be so desperate for toilet paper or baby formula, what about eternal life and entrance into the kingdom of God? Is there that sort of, are we willing to strive for that? Jesus said that they would lament, weep, they would grit their teeth in frustration, that they would see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob entering the kingdom of God, but they were not permitted to enter. They were kept outside. They followed God before the law was given. They were made righteous before the law through faith in God. And that's the same way that anyone can have eternal life today, through faith in God, through the person of Jesus Christ. People suppose they would be accepted to the kingdom of God because of their uh, descent from Abraham. But it's through faith in Christ that all can be born again from the east, west, north, and south. Jews and Gentiles would be admitted while they, these unbelievers, were left outside. The gospel was preached to the Jews first. It was largely rejected and thus offered to the Gentiles, and many received him. Paul confirmed this in Romans 10 and 11, that God's promises to the Jews remain in full force. He says if the natural tree, if the natural branches were cut off of a tree, and these other branches grafted in, of course those natural branches can also be grafted in. So they, the Jew and Gentile are one through Jesus Christ. Take note of the response of Jesus to this question. How many times he says you? And I wonder, did his uh, seeker take this personally? And it's good for all of us to take it personally. Where he says, I say to you, Many will enter and not be able. You will knock, and the master will say, I never knew you. He said, you will weep when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob while you are thrust out. This person would have been wise because Jesus was not speaking rhetorically. He should have taken this personally. Friends, have you ever wondered about the salvation of others? Either people in scripture or people that you know? And you've wondered this burning question, is he or she saved? And if we answered the question, yes, it provided a sense of relief and we stopped wrestling in prayer for their salvation. And if we thought, well, maybe not, that urged us to pray more fervently. Jesus says to all today, you strive to enter through the narrow gate. Many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They were trying to enter through the works of the flesh, through their own goodness, which the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. The only way we can stand before God is when we're born again and made righteous by grace through faith, through the gospel. Even, the, even as there were Jews who assumed they would have access to the kingdom of God and an inheritance because of their uh, Jewish ethnicity and their religion, there are many who call Jesus Lord today who will be thrust out of the kingdom of God. People whose parents are Christians or you go to church or listen to sermons or tithe or serve in church, read the Bible. Jesus does not know them because they've never been born again. They've never received him as Lord. Today, that door to salvation is open. It's open to you. It's open to all of us. And one day that door will be shut. And so... Do you want to be the person who is left outside, who wants to enter but cannot, is unable to enter?
because you did not go through that gate of righteousness, who is Christ, that we trust in. Will you strive to enter? Will you wrestle to enter through that door through faith in Jesus? Following Jesus is a difficult way. It is a narrow way. He is the way. And those who've been mocked and bullied, arrested, imprisoned, tortured, even killed for the sake of Christ, show us that it is not easy to follow Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus, as long as you live on this earth, strive to enter in that door, wrestling to walk worthy of the salvation that's been given you through faith in Christ. It's Jesus who makes us spiritually fit, and we're called to exercise ourselves in godliness. Continuing in Luke 13, 31. On that very same, on that very day, some Pharisees came to him, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is inviting people to enter the kingdom of God. The Pharisees are telling Jesus to get lost. Right, Herod's trying to kill you. You need to get out of here. And we don't know if this threat was legitimate or a ruse to make Jesus leave. I mean, the Pharisees were taking counsel to kill Jesus. So I doubt uh, this warning was really in Jesus' best interest, like they wanted to protect him. I mean, they would have been happy for, for Herod or um, Pontius Pilate to arrest him. Jesus called Herod a fox. Foxes are known to be crafty. And he had a word to bring to Herod Antipas that he had plans that were surely going to come to pass. It didn't matter what his schemes were or Satan's plans. It would ultimately end in his perfection. He would do works. He would, he would continue teaching. He would heal. And on the third day, he would rise from the dead. He would, he would be raised in glory. Regardless of the risk or the threat, Jesus would continue to preach and heal. Proverbs 28.1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We see such boldness in Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah was not uneasy because there was a, a crafty fox slinking around somewhere. The boldness of Jesus, that can mark all followers of Christ because we know we're safe and secure in our Savior our good shepherd, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. No one can thwart his good purposes. God would bring his purposes to pass. Therefore, Jesus had work to do. The sovereignty of God is not a valid excuse for sloth or carelessness. And instead of being preoccupied with the schemes of the enemy or his power, God has work for us to do, um, to do now in the present and in the future. And it will end in glory. And that's such a cool thing, that God loves us and has plans for us that go beyond our life here on earth. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem is where the Sanhedrin gathered together, and they took counsel. They would bring him before Caiaphas and then to Pilate, and he would willingly go before them as a lamb going to the slaughter. Have you ever dreaded a meeting or an appointment? I have. 
But Jesus, he looked forward to this with excitement because of the glory that we'd be accomplished, the salvation he would bring for you and me through the gospel. He wanted to bring the gospel to light. Luke 13, 34, 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus lamented over Jerusalem the nation of Israel who killed the prophets that God had sent to warn and instruct his people. He loved them with an everlasting love, yet they rejected it. He wanted to affectionately gather them together in his arms like uh, a mother hen, her, her chicks. It's like she has the instinct to protect them and to guard them. They'll sleep under her. And, and coupled with their instinct to run to her for warmth and protection and uh, but, but the children of Israel, they wouldn't come to him. It's like they scattered. And, and a little chick would be very helpless to protect itself. When God reached out to save his people, it's like they ran from him. They scattered. They condemned the Savior. God knew the hypocrisy of their hearts. What was unseen would come to light when they were brought to desolation. They would see everything in what they trusted, the glory of the temple, it would perish. But Jesus, he would make his followers the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And he's saying, when you're left outside and you're saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, you'll, you'll see. And man, it's so good for us to recognize that before it happens because he's told us. We don't want to be on the outside looking in. Let's strive to enter through that narrow way, through faith. And what was hidden to the people would become known. Jesus, this carpenter in Nazareth, he, he was God made flesh sent to seek and to save sinners. This was revealed in his teaching, his miracles, the healings that he did, ultimately his death and resurrection. And that glorification when he rose from the dead, it would show God's power to forgive sins, to save souls, to provide eternal life. He confirmed it forever. Not all the people who saw Jesus saw who he really was. They didn't see him for who he was. They thought he was an upstart, self-styled rabbi when he was the son of God. God made flesh who was eating and drinking with them, teaching in their streets, uh, rubbing elbows with them as they pushed through crowds. And he quoted Psalm 118.26 where he said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what the people of Jerusalem would say when Jesus came in riding on that donkey at that triumphant entry days before they said, crucify him. So could you please, in your Bibles, turn to Psalm 118. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. I would love to, but I encourage you to do so. It's a song of praise, thanksgiving, and joy to God in his goodness and salvation. And begins with thanks to God and his mercy that endures forever. And uh, in Psalm 118.6, it shows the boldness seen in Jesus. It says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This whole chapter is really prophetic. It didn't matter what the Herod was planning to do or the Pharisees trying to kill Jesus. 
Jesus continued to do the Father's will. Picking up in Psalm 118, verse 13, it says, You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. I learned this week that the cross of, cross of valor, it's the highest bravery decoration in Australia. It's been only awarded five times since 1975. It's awarded to those who selflessly and consciously put themselves in jeopardy to help others. The cross of valor. Jesus demonstrated such valor and faith in going to the cross and subjecting himself to that brutality so that we could have new life through faith in him. And when he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last, Jesus was not given to death. He died, but he lived. Jesus rose victorious and glorified as the door, the way to the kingdom of God and heaven. Through faith. He said in John 11, those who believe in him, though dead, shall live because he's the resurrection and the life. That's how this psalmist could say, I shall not die but live. Yes, the body would die, but the soul would continue to live on and be clothed with immortality and a new body where we live with God forever. Continuing in Psalm 118, 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them. I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist asked God to open the gates of righteousness. Jesus is the gate. He is the door to eternal life. All have sinned, and through the atoning blood of Jesus, shed on the cross, we're washed clean. His righteousness is given to us by God's grace. This carpenter from Nazareth did not appear a Messiah or a Savior to the Pharisees who did not believe, but the one who spoke to them, he was their salvation. He was the stone rejected by the builders that God made the chief cornerstone. And I love in verse 21 where it says, for you have answered me. That's also in Psalm 22, which speaks of Jesus suffering on the cross and God answering him and raising him to new life. The song concludes with the passage quoted by Jesus in Psalm 118.25. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. This prayer for salvation is spoken for you and for me. God, save, oh Lord, send prosperity, not just with wealth or properties, but for souls, for life, for eternity. The God worshipped in the temple was the same God who walked and talked in their streets, the one that they were speaking to, the one who's speaking to you today. 
The mystery of the gospel hidden from the beginning. It was revealed through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. As spoken to Abraham, God would supply for himself a sacrifice through his own son, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The suffering of Jesus, the bitter cup he drank of the wrath of God, it made way for us to receive mercy and the sweetness of forgiveness, acceptance, and belonging in the kingdom of God. Oh, let's rejoice and let's praise him. Let's strive to worship God. Let's strive to honor and glorify him and to thank him for the marvelous things he's done because he is good and his mercy endures forever. He's given you life. He's given you love. And he desires to ha- for us to spend eternity with him. Man, praise the Lord. How good is our Savior, Jesus Christ? There is no one like him, the resurrection and the life, the door through whom we enter, the gate of righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his wisdom and for his ways that he sacrificed himself so that we could live forever. And we're so undeserving. We are sinners, but you are a savior. Thank you that you, in you all of our needs are met. May we be like those chicks that run to the hen who, to find warmth, to find belonging, to have protection and provision. Lord, help us to receive your affection and to be affectionate towards you. For you to be the one we run to. For you to be the one whose embrace we long for. Lord, show us your glory. Show us your power. Minister to our hearts even now to know you and to draw near to you, not to wrestle against you, but to wrestle for you because you've made us fit and equipped us with the gospel and your presence to do these good works, just like Jesus did, so that we can glorify and be fruitful for you forever. Lord, I thank you for your word and how deep and how rich and how true it is, and I pray we'd walk according to it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.